Welcome back everyone to another episode of Grow Your Path to Wellness. Last episode, a couple weeks ago, we hosted a friend of mine and a fellow wellness professional, Kendra Everhart. Kendra shared with us the importance of the importance and benefits of movement, dance, and how she kind of created her own kind of approach and calls it vibology. So the benefits holistically of just for one wellness whenever it comes to incorporating yoga, movement, and dance and how this also improves self-esteem and um, self-worth. Um, and then this week we welcome, I think a fellow TikToker. I don't know if Chelsea and I have kind of crossed paths, but I know that comes up often um, on our recordings with new guests, but also, um, so she lives in Ohio uh, with her spouse and two sons. She's a licensed independent social worker with a supervisor credential. Um, and specializes in treating trauma and anxiety with modalities like um, acceptance and commitment therapy and dialectical behavioral therapy. Um, so welcome, Chelsea. This is Chelsea Hams. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, Chelsea. Yes, Chelsea's a fellow TikToker. Um, so we are always happy to have those mental health TikTok professionals here sharing all the good information. Uh, Chelsea, tell us a little bit about you, your background, your training, and why this topic today. Um, so I, like right after high school, I got an undergrad in psychology, and then I worked on an inpatient unit for about 10 years um, and then got my master's and started working in therapy. And I think just through the course of treatment and trainings, I found that I very much prefer working with anxiety and treating anxiety. And then um, more trainings found working with trauma to be kind of a, a passion of mine and learning more about it. I'm always learning. I'm always going to more trainings just to kind of get the the best options. I'm kind of like a trauma nerd at this point is if I see it, I'm like, let me learn about it. I don't really know why personally I'm drawn to that. I think I've just um, developed a good understanding and ability to to handle what I hear and then help people through it. Yeah, I was just gonna say I had a similar path. Um... Well, I did my undergrad and, and master's back to back, but my undergrad was in psych and then I did social work and um, the same thing, like anxiety started to just kind of call to me. I was like, well, yeah, like this is quote unquote normal, right? Like this is like a normal biological response in your body. Like, okay, let me help you hone that in and train it so that, you know, it's usable for you. And then trauma, right? Like we, we all have some of some kind and it's usually having secondary impacts on our lives and symptoms. So I appreciate that and your perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Chelsea, I was going to ask you, like, do you work with both adults and children and what area of Ohio are you in? Since all three of us, for once, all three of us yeah. and our <laughs> guests are in Ohio. So often we're all over. <laughs> yeah. So I'm in Toledo. Um, I work in like a tiny little town outside of Toledo. Um, but I currently primarily just work with adults. Um, I was working with children uh, for a while. That was actually my first job out of grad school was doing a group, like a more intensive group for teens. And I do love working with teens. I found I had to take a step back from that because 
because it became difficult with the the situations and that I couldn't help enough because of the guardians and it became too personally frustrating for me so I had to take a step back and just focus on adults for my own well-being <laughs> because it became a little upsetting so yeah I see you in that because long story short I'm like way down southeastern Ohio like the Hawking Hills if you've ever been not yeah, down yeah. hiking so like that's where I'm at and um I come from a lot of community mental health I've never done inpatient but um the whole I, I when I went out on my own I still work with teens but I keep it a very small portion of my caseload for similar reasons so yeah I had a few really difficult cases that the the kids and I were doing really well together and then the guardians don't like certain changes that come about or don't like facing certain things so they pull them out of therapy so it's just became too frustrating for me yes yeah no I hear you 100 percent in that yeah. and it can be very we have to acknowledge that for ourselves and in the yeah. field it's more about the client or you know or that person it's it's doing something for us and it's not making it us beneficial for for that client mm -hmm. so but no, thank you for sharing that I was just curious <laughs> Yeah. So now I'm primarily adults. I have all age ranges. I have like, you know, 20 year olds. I have a few still like 18 year olds. I have 70 year olds, like the whole, the whole range. So, nice. okay. Um, so maybe we can jump in and just start with uh, all three of us being clinicians. We kind of just know these things, but for our, our community who listens, can you maybe share some details about those two diagnoses like separately so some common symptoms of trauma anxiety and maybe flush out a little bit for some how those overlap mm -hmm. yeah I think anxiety tends to be a lot of body experiences um muscle tension stomach issues nausea um some maybe like panic attack symptoms of the heart racing, the hot flashes, but then also the anxiety in terms of the excessive worry thoughts. And then it can be broken down to types, right? Where it's like worrying about everything, worrying about a specific phobia, worrying about social situations. Um, but the common theme I think is the, the excessive worry that you cannot control and that makes you tend to avoid the things that make you anxious, which then seems like it's helping, but it's actually exacerbating the anxiety. Um, and then differentiating that from trauma, I think trauma does come with a lot of anxiety, but for a different reason with specific traumatic events that have happened with maybe like nightmares, flashbacks, memories. And then I think it tends to also more involve specific cognitive differences in terms of a lot of self-blame or self-worth issues or excessive cognitive beliefs about the world around you being too dangerous um, and a lot more hypervigilance, being excessively aware of what's going on. I think the trauma symptoms definitely mimic anxiety but for more specific reasons and more intensity 
in symptomology and responses. Trauma is just very complicated, as you know. <laughs> that's such a good, yeah, that's such a good way of, like, you you handled that so well, <laughs> describing those differences and the overlaps. And then I think also, yeah, I was thinking before you said the thought patterns about and beliefs about the world, I was thinking, you know, complex PTSD where there might not be specific flashbacks to specific events or situations, but it was more developmental trauma or, you know, the relationships that we had with our caregivers and, and how that shaped our view of the world. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, it's very, I think, differential per person and how they respond and definitely the, you know, the diagnostic part of it, the barriers of the DSM criteria where, you know, they have to meet like the most criteria of any diagnosis, but, you know, it doesn't always look the same in every person. You know, some people don't have the nightmares or flashbacks, but they have these super intense hypervigilance and, and anxiety and everything else. But, you know, it's trauma, especially if they don't have the memories of it, because that's also part of trauma. The, the you know, missing of well, the memory lapses make it so they don't have flashbacks because they don't remember it, but they still have trauma. The power yeah. of association. Right. They're, it's so challenging too, because they remember, their body remembers it. Somewhere yeah. in them remembers it, right? It's just that we can't bring it to that present awareness. We can't consciously yeah. recall it. Yeah. And that, I know that's a big challenge for a lot of, a lot of people I've worked with is like, well, I don't know. I think this might've happened or I think something happened, but if it didn't happen, then it probably didn't happen. I probably need, I don't know. Did it right. And they kind of waver and I've just, you know, learned to tell them it doesn't really matter, honestly, like in the kindest way. I'm not like, you know, it's, but right, basically right. it doesn't matter if you can recall yeah. or not, you know, if, if it feels true to you, if it feels like it, it's impacting you in, you in some way, let's, let's work with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, okay. Thank you. Can you talk on, um, a lot of people throw around these, um, not analogies, what's the word acronyms, right? Like CBT and DBT and ACT and all the things. And in our community, we know what that means, but again, for our listeners that might not be so trained, um, we mentioned acceptance and commitment therapy and dialectical behavioral therapy that you are trained in and use. Can you kind of flesh those out and help, um, our listeners understand what that might look like if they found, an ACT or DBT therapist, um, what issues, you know, the anxiety, depression, trauma that that can help treat? Yeah. So I think, so I first learned about acceptance and commitment therapy in grad school. My field advisor had been trained in it. So she really trained us. My, my grad school was a very CBT as most of them are focused grad school. Um, but then she added that in and I tend to use ACT, um, for, a lot more for anxiety, um, you know, cause like CBT talks about, you know, making an alternate thought, you know, to combat your intrusive thoughts. But what I found is that people then get in the argument back and forth of alternate thought, intrusive thought, alternate, and it ramps up the anxiety. So um, ACT talks about mindfulness. It talks about focusing on your values. It talks talks about treating your mind as a separate 
entity, like a separate person to recognize it's not you and you don't have to actually follow this. So there's the skill of diffusion. That's one of my favorite skills for anxiety because it's talking about getting out of that internal argument and focusing more on, are these thoughts helpful? Are these thoughts necessary? Mindfulness tools of like imagery where you imagine the thoughts say being written in sand and then the waves wash them away. Um, ways to disconnect from those thoughts to recognize they don't need to have power over you. Um, I found that to be a much more helpful tool for anxiety thoughts just because it's it gets rid of that perpetuated argument and recognizing the thoughts are not absolute truth. Um, and then, so I use that a lot for anxiety um, and it can be useful for depression too with the same intrusive thought patterns. The, the dialectical behavioral therapy, I think is a much more, uh, I, in my opinion, it's useful for everybody. I mean, I use the skills myself for certain situations because there's a skill I always tell people, if you give me a problem, I have a DBT skill for you because it's just so in-depth of a therapy. If you're doing true traditional DBT, it's very intensive where you do a group and then you have an individual session and the individual sessions are very structured, um, like diary cards, a structure of what we're covering, um, I don't tend to do that. I was trained that way. I did a year long training for DBT. Um, and I did a group with teens, a DBT group for a couple of years um, at my previous job. So I tend to use DBT in the, in when it's needed. You know, if I just had somebody the other day that was going through a breakup. So we covered opposite action of love. Um, there's emotion regulation skills just a, a full gambit of things, depending on what the person needs in that moment. It obviously was created for borderline personality, but I think over time it's been known to be beneficial for, for most things. I don't necessarily use that for trauma um, just because we have other things to work on for that. But DBT, I do tend to kind of like use it throughout depending on what the person needs in that moment. It's great for like piece work. I, and I love that it, the interpersonal piece of it. Like I work a good bit with um, BPD, humans that live with BPD. And, and I love kind of, I incorporate that in among some other things, but I like the integration or the incorporation of the relationship piece with DBT versus some of the others where it's very much internal or um, which are great, but I just, I like turning to that for that, that piece as well. Right. And there's so many different options to use depending on what the person has going on. You know, I, I do use a lot of distress tolerance for people with anxiety. Um, and then the mindfulness is obviously useful for everyone, <laughs> you know? So yeah, it just kind of depends on, on what that person needs in that time. So I'm not, I'm not a structured DBT therapist. Um, I've done that a couple of times and that's just not my, that's just not my flow in therapy. I tend to just want to go with the flow of what we need to do that day, not be like, we have to do A, B, and C. So that's why I'm not certified in it. Cause you have to do that. 
to be certified. Um, so yeah, I use it. I use it how we need to. Yeah, I heard you say you don't necessarily use it like for trauma. Do you, do you take like a piecework approach usually for, for trauma as well? Or do you have your go-tos for trauma specifically whenever it feels kind of, it's hard to make this a black and white when it's in reality not, but do you have some favorites or go-tos for trauma treatment? Um, for trauma treatment, I tend to be more of a polyvagal theory practitioner of we have to kind of start with the body. We have to start helping you, you know, use coping skills in the moment. Um, I, I did the, there's a uh, training by Eric Gentry for the trauma professional. So I tend to follow his um, structure, the, the relational pyramid of just developing the rapport with the therapist. Cause as we know, that's actually the most important part of treating trauma is giving them a healthy relationship and then the coping skills and like the, the cognitive restructuring aspect. So for that, I sometimes will use some diffusion or CBT depending on what works best with that person. I usually will start with CBT options, at least helping them um, label the cognitive distortion in the moment. And then if we find there's an internal argument happening, then I just switch to diffusion given, given whatever they need in that moment. And sometimes I will ask them, you know, do you, do you tend to internally argue with yourself? And if they say, yes, I don't even do CBT because it's just not going to be helpful. So. And then I like to ask everybody as far as like, <clears throat> because we're all three, I've seen your, like your credentials, we're all social workers by nature. And yeah, we, and I feel like it comes up in almost every conversation, but are there other um, things that you take in consideration about a person or some maybe aspects of your intake or not just tied to the specific diagnosis, but as you're fleshing out, what modality do we feel like is helpful? What other things can somebody expect to be asked about, like if they're coming to you with anxiety, trauma, one or both, kind of other aspects of the human that you ask about or take into consideration? Um, I tend to always assess to their current environment because let's say they're living, they're still living with the traumatic situation. We are very limited in what we can do. We can still do things but then we have to kind of develop more options for that person in the moment, because if they have no support system, if they have, you know, difficulty working, they need help getting disability. Um, they are living with maybe an abusive person. You know, we have to kind of assess the whole picture of it because you, you know, as we say, you can't fully hear from the heal from the trauma while you're in the trauma. So then we have to kind of figure out, okay, what can we do to get you through this until you can actually be out of it? You know, survival skills. Cause I mean, I, I will explain to people how your nervous system works and why we can't actually fully work on this right now because you need your nervous system to protect you. So um, those are, I think the biggest things I assess is if they have a support system, if they have resources in terms of, you know, access to, to medications or access to outside hobbies or, 
you know, just all the different things that they could do outside on their own. And then also the safety of the environment. Yeah. And I asked that not to put you on the spot, but I, I like that because when we get in here and you start talking about these, like we said, the acronyms and the modalities and the approaches, and I feel like people get a misconception. Like when they come in, it's like, all right, that's, that's going to be the only things that we talk about. And it is super structured. And sometimes people aren't there yet. Like Mm -hmm. there's so many other things we have to get in place before your mind and body and all of these things line up to where you can Mm -hmm. learn and apply these skills into your day-to-day life. And we always tell our clients, Amanda and I, like you're the expert in your own mind and body. And sometimes just most of the time, (laughs) you're not going to just jump in right into the structure. There's going to be some follow-up or some lead-in kind of evaluation and determination first. Right. And I think a lot of people too even need, um, I think that's the basis of, of trauma treatment as well as just education. I often spend time with people explaining that they even experienced trauma, you know, that that experience wasn't just like, quote, normal. I don't like that word, but you know what I mean? You know, they think everybody has this and I've had quite a, f- I mean, this happens a lot where people don't even recognize they're, you know, oh, it was fine. It was great. It was fine was it? (laughs) Um, so having that conversation and education, sometimes that alone can actually help the person do more for themselves once they recognize, cause it's, it's kind of like Pandora's box. Once you learn it, you can't unlearn it. And then you see it in your life and it, that alone can be regulating for the person to know what changes they need to make. I had one girl in particular, I think she was 18 she'd been diagnosed with bipolar disorder at like age eight. (laughs) And I, I uh, did my assessment knowing in my mind, like, that's not what this is. Um, and then we found like the, the household she was in was severely traumatizing mental health issues in her own parents and all of this. And it took about like four or five sessions for her to recognize what was really going on. And she made a plan for herself to move out with a grandparent. She moved out and she like completely healed herself just being in a safe environment alone. She was like, actually, I'm fine now. And she was, she just moved on, (laughs) but it took a while. That was our therapy was helping her understand. This was not a bipolar situation. This was a trauma situation. This was not your fault. You don't have to actually live this way. Um, And yeah, she, she just did the steps for herself and got through it yeah like of course of course you're dysregulated of <laughs> yeah. course you have intense emotions that you don't know how to manage like of course I always tell people like you know whether I do a lot of clinical supervision so whether it's when I'm you know training them or just in general people ask like what is your therapeutic approach what, you know what theories with theoretical orientation and I'm over here like listen psychoeducation and validation are like the two biggest things I do and the people the just the weight that is lifted off people or the light bulbs you see just giving someone information like you don't know what you don't know right and once they have that they're like what that's a thing or like wow right and it's it's empowering and I think as social workers that's a lot of our job too right is to empower our folks to do what they need to do for themselves with the information that they needed to do it. Right. That girl in particular, but this happens a lot when I tell people, um, you're not responsible for their emotions. 
her jaw like dropped because she had been taught she had to take care of them. She had to do what they needed. And you were a child. That wasn't your job. Her like she sat in silence for a minute after that because it was very foreign for her to be told that. And mm-hmm. I think that piece of information for a lot of people alone would be shocking. And then once they can accept that, it can make huge life changes for themselves. Yeah, it's so powerful. Well, Chelsea, we just flew right through all of that. I don't know how we already got to that, but here we are. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Um, are there any parting words, any last minute um, things you want to leave on this topic or any mantras or, or quotes you want to leave with our guests or our audience today before we go? Well, I'm a very like I'm a very quote person. I will probably use at least five quotes per session. Um, I don't know if my clients get annoyed with it, but I think it's okay. <laughs> I found a quote recently that said, um, being human is not about feeling happy. It's about feeling everything. And so I think that's what I try to remind people of is feelings and emotions are part of the human experience and they're there for a reason. And they are also temporary. You will survive them. And just a, an acceptance as the DBT clinician in me, that my acceptance is my personal favorite skill. Um, so just allowing them in your life, they will come, they will go, you will survive. Yeah. I, I will often, you know, it depends on the relationship you have with your client, right? There's some clients where I'm like, um, is your goal to only always have the feel good emotions? Like, is that what you're working toward? Cause I'm sorry to say that's probably not going to happen. Right. Like if we're yeah. always striving for, you know, happiness and the silver lining and the excitement, we're going to be disappointed every time. Cause that's not the reality of the human experience. And yet I understand that society encourages that society says, and no one taught you how to deal with the uncomfortable emotions and society often, or your family or whoever your caregivers were probably pushed those uncomfortable emotions away or made you feel bad for having them. So it makes sense that it's challenging for you. Yep, definitely. Thank you. I love that quote. That's such a good one. Um, is there anywhere that our audience can find you to follow you or um, get services from you? Um, I am on a TikTok therapist. Um, embarrassingly, I don't remember my name. I think it's Chelsea underscore Nicole or Chelsea L-I-S-W-S. I think that's, I don't pay attention to that. <laughs> I have but so yes. many people that ask me like, you know, people that you follow or, you know, other mental health creators. And I'm like, I know them and I'm very familiar with them, but I don't know their name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, let me help you out. And I'm like, no, I don't know it either. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. If you want to, if you remember and you want to send it over, we'll include it in the show notes. People can follow you there. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Chelsea. We appreciate you being here. Um, you're welcome back anytime. If you'd ever like to come back as a repeat guest, we have repeat guests often. So just let us know if you're interested. Thank you. Um, yeah. And then to our audience, make sure you like, subscribe, hit the little notification button so you get notified when our next episode comes out. Next um, time in a couple of weeks, we are going to have Christine back. Um, I think this is our third time coming back now, actually. Um, and we're going to talk more about um, a little deeper dive into what mental health hospitalization looks like and what that experience might look like for the consumer. 
So as always, thank you everyone. Have a wonderful week and take care. Bye. Take care everyone. Bye.